0: I'm R.A. Schwartz, and along with Rachel Galligan, we welcome you to the Windsider Show, where it's all about the W. Today, we are very honored to have a women's basketball legend, Pokey Chapman, join the show to break down the WNBA semifinals. Like our show, please consider joining our Patreon community for less than a cup of coffee a month. You can directly show support for the hard work we do covering the W and don't forget to see the amazing staff's written content over at winsider.com. That's winsider.com. As I said before, we are very, very, very excited to welcome in a legend of every level of women's basketball on every continent of women's basketball coach pokey chapman pokey how you doing and welcome to the show
1: man listen after that interview after that intro i'm doing great but uh no i really (laughs) listen uh before you guys get started so thanks for having me on but I, i truly appreciate the work that you guys are doing along with others but just to really put the women's game uh in front of so many people in a way that we don't often get so thank you and kudos for your work
0: well, I, I appreciate that. And you've got me blushing over here, but I'm, I'm curious, how, how are you holding it down? How's, how's things going with you during uh this crazy time?
1: You know, it, it's crazy for everyone. I don't think I'm any different. It's unfortunate here that that damn virus hit New Orleans pretty early before we could figure things out and unfortunately lost, you know, some family members to it. Uh, someone just as recent as this past Thursday. So that's been tough. Uh, and I'm, I'm just hoping that we'll come out of this. It's nice to see that some sports have gotten back uh, into the forefront so we can have some type of normalcy. But I'm holding up fine, uh, you know, just trying to follow the rules and science and be vigilant and and, and, and uh, disciplined so we can get through this.
2: Coach, we're, we're, it's so good to hear your voice. So happy you're with us. I'm excited to jump into some analysis of these semifinals. But first, I want to talk a little bit – um, for those of you who, who are listening who don't know a lot about Coach uh, Pokey Chapman, but you know, you, you played, you coached, um, you were at LSU after that time, you, you coached extensively overseas, you, you coached powerhouse Spartak, you've even spent time with the Slovakian national team, you've coached some of the absolute greatest players of the world on some of the absolute biggest stages. Um, I just kind of want to dive into that experience overseas in particular, because I feel like that's an element of you that, like, we don't get to hear a lot about. Um, you know, did it start with Spartec and and what was that like? And kind of talk about some of the players that you had an opportunity to coach.
1: Yeah. And and thank you for that. Uh, It was a tremendous experience on every level. And I'll tell you this, how it started. Simone Augustus called me and said, coach, Tina Thompson wants your cell phone number. Is that okay? Tina was still with the comments. And uh, so Tina called me a day later and they were looking for an assistant coach in SparTec because they always had an American assistant on staff, and then fast forward, uh, I joined Spartak, and as you mentioned, I was only the head coach for a couple of years, but I got to coach some of the best players in the world, and my first assignment was to go over 10 days early and train Lauren Jackson. I said, are you freaking kidding me? This this can't be real life, <laughs> so uh, that, that was my first assignment to go over there and, and train one of the best players in the world prior to uh, the rest of the team coming into camp and getting started, and That started a a string of six years, uh, a few championships, uh, learning the game a different way, uh, eventually being able to take some of those trends into the WNBA when I took the Chicago job. But the most important thing was the people and not just the American players that I was able to coach, but some of the other European players and especially the Russians who took me in with open arms and I had a great six year run there.
0: I mean, the, the smart tech is a historic team in women's basketball folklore. And we were talking about this before we hit record, but I mean, there's that crazy story that has been, I thought it was a rumor until I finally heard the 30 for 30 with Sue and Diana, where they like went into detail about it, but you were the head coach at the time and you had a ridiculous lineup of Lauren Jackson, Diana Taurasi, I think Janelle McCarville, and Sue Bird, like an insane lineup, but, you have a little interesting story with a connection with Shaptai and, and kind of what went down that day. And Can you just share a little light on, on that experience?
1: I, I do. And, and and at that particular time, Lauren actually was not on the team, and Janelle McCarvel was a repl- replacement uh, for her. Gotcha. But, you know, Lauren was there some great years as well. But, uh, yeah, it, it was just this, this eerie feeling that day when we got the phone call, I remember exactly where I was, in my apartment, that Shaptai was murdered and things happen so fast there you're numb uh and, and there's only three or four people you can directly communicate with so you're in this mad scramble but you know my connection to some of the chaos began because i was one of the last five people that had spoken to shatai and so some of the you know uh, uh police officers and investigators wanted to speak to me because i was actually trying to get tickets to a beyonce concert and but just because my number was on that uh On his call log, my Russian number, it was, you know, days and weeks of of having to endure a little bit of question, nothing extensive, but just the fact that it kept the the, the chaos and the sadness and what do we do now going because you know it was just something that we saw in movies, but this time we were in the damn movie.
0: Yeah, and I I I hope this doesn't come off insensitive, but when I heard the story, I had a follow-up question of did you guys get the Beyonce tickets? I know that like sounds a little bit ridiculous, oh, but
2: that's always the question. Like, did they actually get to go to the concert?
1: I, I don't. I don't even. I doubt it because I'm pretty sure I would have remembered. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. in, in that regard, when I tell you we were numb, because of course, so much of what you heard about Shabtai was from his days. He was a Russian spy. He was this. You hear all these things, but we're living there and we see the hospitals, the schools. We know he's financing two of the. Israeli teams because he loves him his basketball so much we know he's financing the teams Tesca and denamo, uh so we know all these things uh in terms of how he had evolved to this person who was doing all this great stuff, and that was difficult, but we were we were in mourning, and a lot of people thought the team was going to fold. Uh, I think a, a lot of people uh maybe took pay cuts that next year, but uh it was really difficult situation to see the sadness and hurt because he was really. Uh, a, a true inspiration of so many people
0: and I know that there was some some rumblings of him possibly uh buying a WNBA team which I think would have been crazy but when I think of overseas basketball and Spartak and and EuroLeague I think of the crowds mm. and I, can you just talk a little bit about like what the experience is like I mean I've been to many WNBA finals games I've been to many intense WNBA games where the crowd's going wild and down your throat but as a coach what was it like to to have that experience with with the insane crowds that us Americans hear about overseas?
1: Listen, it was amazing. You, you look, I, I got juice as a coach, even when you would go to opposing places, you know, like first of all, when we were in a, a small little suburb, uh, Vidnoy, so they would bus people in. Kind of hard to get to, uh, maybe take you two and a half three hours from the city because of the traffic. But other places, I mean, we would go to uh, Ekaterinburg. you know, that's the team with all the money, the gold. And when I tell you um, thousands of people and they would get there early, they're singing, they're dancing. It was always a show from ballet to uh, anything you could imagine uh, it was going on. And of course, you know, you know the stories of, of playing in Turkey where they're really, really intense. I remember uh, there was a particular game. Cinebachi was actually the favorite. And we stole the game from, from Finnebachi. And when we were leaving the court, they were telling us, make sure you're covered because they may throw some screws at you. <laughs> so they were throwing things. Uh, and look, we were never threatened, but that's how intense it was. And, and honestly, that was part of what you became. you know, you came to expect, but at the end of the day, they love great basketball. They cheer for their home team, but they love the excitement of sport that it brought to the table.
2: That's amazing. I wish we could somehow encapsulate that feeling and, you know, share it with, you know, fans and, and everyone here in the States, because I don't think people quite understand what some of these environments are like, but I do have one question before, um, I know Ari's got one more before we jump into the analysis of these games, but, you know, I, I get asked this a lot because I, I do run a small business um, surrounding the international game and European style of play um, For you for you and your time overseas and your time coaching at this level it is, it is a different game. Um, It is a different style. There are major differences. And, you know, if you're comparing the way we play here in the States versus um, in other countries, but how did that challenge you? How did that make you a better coach? Um, And and what elements did you kind of learn from the European style?
1: You know, I think it it was less of a challenge. It was more enlightening than anything. Uh, I can remember one of my better passers, probably second best passer and third leading assist person was Ira Osipova, who was a six, five post player. And I I make that, you know, comparison or I bring that up because, you know, when they start them out, they don't care if you're five, two or seven, two, you're going to do the same amount of ball handling. You're going to put up shots. You're going to do those things. And that always stuck out with me. And every time we're talking about positionless basketball and not letting the ball stick, which seems to be, you know, uh, uh, not a common thing in our game, that was just how they played, but also uh they were just really into the offensive side of the ball I think what was the toughest part for me was probably uh not really into the scouting report <laughs> you know like like this we're not gonna watch a lot of video uh and and I incorporated a good deal deal, but they were really into the offensive side of the ball but then one step further, I can remember um just watching how a stretch four could really impact the game and that was a crucial thing for me uh, in drafting Deladon. And, of course, she's a great player, uh, but, of, of course. course, everyone had doubts. You know, oh, she loves Connecticut volleyball. Does she love it? And I'm like, I just needed to love it for three, four years. She's amazing. <laughs> you know? yeah. uh, and and that was something. And now we have stretch fives. And I'm thinking to myself, that wasn't that long ago. But stretch four was a novelty. And now, you know, with JJ and, and Steph and, and, and these, these stretch fives and Stewie, I can see our game, uh, you know, kind of uh, meshing with their game. And, you know, of course, I'm I'm a Popovich fan and I coach Becky Hammond and I'm close friends with her. So that whole European connection of uh, the, the chemistry that would come to the table a little early was always evident as well.
2: And I got to talk about Fowles. I mean, I remember watching her from such a young age and thinking like this, if, if I could envision my absolute worst nightmare of someone to go against, it would have been Sylvia Fowles. Um, I, think, yeah, I never had to play against her, but I remember thinking like, I, 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 this would be an absolute nightmare. And I, I just, I have always loved Fowles. I think mm-hmm. she, I, I hope she's um, feeling better and we can see her kind of in this, in this semifinals, but what was it? What's it been like? I mean, you you even coached her in Chicago for a while. Talk about her. Talk to us about her a little bit.
1: Yeah, you know I coached her at LSU, coached her in Russia, coached her in Chicago, and you know Sylvia started playing basketball late. I think she didn't start playing until she was going into her ninth grade year, and wow. you know people talk about you know everyone knows she wants to be a mortician and and get her license and she's doing all that work. But I remember, here's this six five beast of a player with a soft-spoken voice, she loved kids, and she loved to sew and draw, so, you know, look, look at that big kid, you know, sitting at a sewing machine, I remember Coach Gunn and I went on a visit, and she sewed this pillow, and made a drawing, and then she gets to tell her she, and she dominates, you know, and so, then I, I was fortunate enough to coach her in, in Russia, and uh, I remember she said, p you should come to Chicago and coach us, I was teach chat then, but uh, you know, it's, it, it, you know, it's interesting because we were, we were playing in Czech Republic and Shabtai comes at halftime in the game. And he says, coach. I said, yes. He said, I have a chance uh, to get Candy Parker, Candy Parker, or, 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 <laughs> or Sylvie, or Sylvie. And I said, who do you think we should take? Who's better? And I said, well, Shabs. And I said, we have Lauren Jackson. We have, Diana Taurasi, I think Sylvia's just a good fit for us. It's not about better, but for us right now. And so that's how sometimes players were 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 taken overseas. But uh, so, yeah, I was fortunate enough to have her there. then have her in Chicago. And like you, Rachel, I hope she's healthy because no one, you know, you think about how many years she plays and Sylvia's fast. She's quick. She's powerful. And she's been relatively injury free. So I hope she's able to uh, finish this thing out uh, at 100%.
2: Yeah, I think we can speak for everybody except for maybe the Seattle Storm. Um,
1: that,
2: you know, we're hoping to see her out on the court, and and I know that one game she did play. You know, she she struggled a little bit, but it's safe to say. I mean, anyone who's been out for for that long, you're going to have some rust. But let let's jump into these semifinals. Um, okay. Sunday, we did get one game. Um, we were able to see the Sun versus Aces game. One Sun took that fairly easily. Um, I, I, I want, I want your initial thoughts. I mean, Jasmine Thomas was phenomenal, but, um, you know, we were kind of talking before the game, like Arya and, and one of our other um, co-hosts, Ben Dole kind of said, well, I, I kind of predict that Connecticut's going to win this. And I went with the aces, so I was kind of wrong, but, um, what are your thoughts after that first round matchup?
1: you know, I, I thought it could have gone either way. And, and, and only because you think about the rhythm, you talk about rhythm so much, But uh, we should talk about it a little more. Uh, You know, they were playing, Connecticut was in a rhythm, Vegas had the layoff, and it's not that it's an excuse, Uh, it's just the facts, you know, you get in the rhythm of playing every other day. And I thought it could be a toss-up. Was I surprised they were plus 20 with Bonner not even in double figures? Yes. But that is the beauty and the fun of this game and, you know, watching these great players who are going to make adjustments, watch these two great coaches who are going to make adjustments, and for me, I'm excited to see who's going to step up next, because now it's the chess match. There are no secrets. They have the play calls, you know, and Connecticut's runs and clear out the side for Thomas or Vegas in a triangle action and pin downs and pinch posts. There's no secrets. So who's going to execute and who's going to step up in this next moment?
2: Well, and we talk about Duanne Bonner. I mean, such a powerhouse in the league within herself. But you know, she struggled a little bit. Did you see anything in particular that the Aces did to make that um, a little bit, you know, obviously a point of emphasis? But what did they do in particular to make it kind of an off night?
1: You know, I, I didn't go back and look at all twelve of her shots, but I'm thinking about her very first shot uh, when she came off with baseline out of bounds and double stagger, and she wasn't really open and clean. And then all of a sudden. And you know, she still takes the shots, so it's test tested long too, fade away too, but also they were obviously scheming to not let her get her normal close to twenty shots that she would take because they were playing the screen role a little bit different with Jasmine and Jasmine made them pay, so I think it was a combination of hey, it wasn't her best night, also the way in terms of you know how they were sticking close to her uh and it not getting those looks and transition that she's gonna normally get but uh is going to bounce back, and uh, that's going to be a scary sight.
0: Don't forget to hit subscribe on Winsider Daily on your favorite podcast app. And also, don't forget Winsider.com for all the written content you could ever need covering the WNBA. Patreon.com backslash Winsider to become a subscriber and get the Wubble Weekly along with exclusive other content.
2: I mean, I have to talk about Jasmine Thomas headed into the game you know, to me, she's kind of this X factor for the Connecticut Mm -hmm. Sun. They don't have the same type of depth that Las Vegas has um, in terms of bench and, and, but, but the production, you know, it's safe to say, at least I, I think it's going to be very difficult to win a five game series with just AT and Bonner scoring. So, you know, finding that um, offensive balance, and someone else to really step up. I mean, Jasmine Thomas did more than step up. I mean, she completely went off. What are your thoughts about her play?
1: Listen, it was crazy. Um, it, obviously, you know, Connecticut had shot the ball well all year from deep. You know, and Jazz has been up and down, more down for her uh, than she's normally been. So they made a you – know, Bill's a great coach. He made a conscious decision. We're going to go under this these screens. So they go under. Well, that's an automatic rescreen. So now the 18 footer's is a 14 footer, she nails it. And then this, this is what smart players do. So the next time AT sets the screen, she sets it lower. So now the reef is a 12 footer. And that's the—that's uh, an experienced team. And that's what Kurt tried to put together. Some wow. people that's been there where I don't need the TV time on or my time on or half time to make an adjustment. They were making those adjustments. And you guys know that. And it was nice to you know, have Rebecca and, and, and everyone calling the game you know, point that out. But at the end of the day she gotta knock the shot down. But it was twelve foot, it was fifteen foot. Then all of a sudden she's like, Hell with this, I'm coming down and transition, putting up threes. Then she, right, right. And then one time she took your baseline, left and faded. So it looked rhythm is a beautiful thing. And once she got the rhythm it was like, okay, thirty one points, tremendous. So I'm anxious to see what adjustments both teams make to to stop that.
0: Well, I'm curious. Well, first of all, shout out to Jasmine Thomas, because at one point she had like one less point than the whole Aces team had. So it was it was basically Jasmine Thomas taking on the whole Aces team. And if you're looking just at that box score. But I'm curious when we talk about the Aces, what kind of adjustments can they make? Because me, obviously, I'm not a WNBA head coach, but going into this game, I kind of had I was in the camp of belief that, you know what, Bonner and AT, they can hurt you but they're not going to beat you if they're the only ones doing everything. So maybe focus in on the other players, but obviously the focus more so from Bill in the, in game one was to focus in on Bonner. So I'm curious what type of adjustments you think we'll see from the aces to hopefully pull out a victory in game two.
1: Well, the, the adjustment with the screen in action is the easiest to make. I, I think the mental adjustment, Bill's probably going to go in there and say, set a solid screen. <laughs> I mean, they were blowing up their screens. The screens weren't solid. They weren't waiting on them. Like, I'm so used to Kayla McBride coming off a pin down and curling, catching for a quick jumper, or maybe taking a dribble and floating. Or I'm used to her getting to the point of the screen and a defender cheating, and she flares. But I thought Connecticut was a lot more physical, and they were attacking them at the point of the screen. They were blowing up screens, and nothing was clean. You know, a lot of that elbow action. Well, if you don't catch it at the elbow, then, you you know, there were not many easy elbow touches. So I just thought Connecticut did a very good job of being aggressive, pressuring the basketball, not letting them get clean touches and no clean action off the screens. So then the first actions kind of, uh-uh. then you get to the second action and it the, the percentages went down uh, oh. on top of the, the rhythm that they had attained. But I think it's just a matter of Look, they're they're top in pace, I think. they got to be top two or three in pace again this year. So they need to get stopped, number one, and then get out and run, loosen some things up, and then go to their MVP and Angel, their former Olympian, uh, get McBride some shots. They'll be fine.
2: Speaking of MVP, um, it was Asia Wilson, who I I believe it was Asia Wilson, who came out and said, yeah, we kind of needed to get punched in the face. Um, You know, we needed to get beat. And uh, I'm curious to see how the Aces respond. Um, these are two teams that really play bully ball and, and, you know, like can be physical. And those toughness categories are so important for both of these teams. But just your initial thoughts of this, just Las Vegas roster in general. I mean, this is a deep team. They've played extremely well all year. What are your thoughts about the Aces just off the top of your head?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, I I can't speak to her, them needing to get punts. They're amazing. You know, the number one picks after number one picks uh, uh, meshed in with some really established players along with Bill and what he brings to the game. Uh, They're going to be ready. It won't be uh, out, you know, the the physical nature of the game won't bother them two games in a row. Uh, They're not going to do anything fancy. They're going to stick to what got them to uh, that last season, regular season game with Seattle in the number one seed. I think there'll be a panic, but you spoke on the depth, you know, uh that's gonna be the key. Uh I think that depth uh is gonna really favor Vegas and Connecticut's gonna have to play really at that high level of someone else stepping up beside their usual uh pun intended aces in the hole. <laughs>
2: Well, you you mentioned the depth. Sorry, Ari, I just have one more. Does Does Connecticut have enough in the tank to be able to do this, especially after having to play a first-round game, second-round game, and now here we are in a series with Las Vegas?
1: Listen, you know, you always have that question in the back of your head, but then Alyssa Thomas and DeJuan Abana just defies the odds. Like, I think they run on gas. <laughs> That's a good You know, like, uh, it's crazy because Alyssa looks like she's going to pass out, but she never stops. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, this she's like the energizer bunny. She just keeps going and going and going. And I don't think Bonner sweats.
2: Yeah. Okay, yeah. that
1: one right there. And you know their ability to offensive rebound the basketball is going to be crucial uh, in getting them some of those easy buckets that they're going to need to contend with that depth of, of Las Vegas.
0: Well, I like to call Duanna Bonner the Slim Reaper because she is deadly from every place on the court. But I'm curious for you, you've been in in series is I don't know the plural of series is I'm butchering it, but you don't really have too much time to practice, you don't have a lot of time to make adjustments, but we always hear about these adjustments. So I'm curious, as a coach who's been through it, what is kind of the process of watching the film for coaches and for players watching the film of game one and trying to activate some of those adjustments for game two and beyond?
1: You know, what's going to happen, the players are going to watch themselves, right? Because the stage is set, and that's going to that's going to help you. They're going to look at the clips of themselves and, you know, what they can do better individually on both sides of the basketball. Of course, the coaches are going to have the chess match of how to guard certain screens. know, be it the ball scene in the middle with jazz or pin down or the triangle action. Uh, but I, I think the key is going to be, you know, we mentioned earlier, some of those players, especially for Connecticut, is they don't have the depth, Who's going to step up next? You know, will it be Heidemann again? Uh, you know, will Breanne January come out and have a high-scoring game along with her defensive prowess? Uh, Connecticut's going to have to, obviously, keep getting those offensive boards to make up for some of that depth. So I think it's going to be four or five things that they're going to do to close the gap on a lack of depth.
0: Well, it's going to be an interesting one, and I'm excited for for that series. I think that series is going to be a little bit closer, uh, as as a shame to my Minnesota friends and family, But let's move on to the Minnesota uh, series with Seattle. We're recording this on Monday, assuming that we are playing game one of the WNBA semifinals Lynx Storm on Tuesday night. Uh, The Minnesota Lynx did just come out with their injury report for that game. Lexi Brown is out with a concussion and Sylvia Fowles is questionable. But I'm curious for you, Pokey, looking at this game, what are your initial thoughts on Minnesota and and what they've been able to do this year when a lot of people kind of wrote them off as a, a bottom seed and they're, they're top four.
1: Listen, I don't know who would write Cheryl Reeve off. <laughs> you know, yeah. That's just not very smart. But also, uh, you know, you look at Sylvia, and she's a multi-time uh, Olympian. She's a champion. But I think the, obviously the work that Crystal Dangerfield has done when she was inserted into arguably the most difficult position uh, on a team that's a dynasty that has so many new faces, and then to lead that team in scoring, but also be willing to have the ball in her the ball in her hands at crucial times. But what's going to be interesting is, uh, you know, assuming Sylvia's going to play, is they can't get off to that slow start trying to factor her back into things. You know, that's going to be key. How, how are they going to play? Because obviously, it's a different type of game with Sylvia, different type of actions that are run. Uh, you know, you're trying to get her some paint touches, so that's going to be key. That adjustment to having that superstar player back early before Seattle can get out and uh, you know get into their running game and their offensive flow.
2: Expand a little more on Dangerfield. Um, I I think she was underrated. I'm surprised she went as late as she did in the draft. Um, as someone who has really analyzed these up and coming draft classes, um, I mean, I. I'm not going to say I thought she would do this, uh, but I definitely thought she was playing some of her best basketball at Connecticut. I thought that that's really um, translated seamlessly to the WNBA, which, which I really didn't think it would look like this. What Dangerfield's doing is mm-hmm. so impressive. Um, but what, what were your, and, and don't BS me now, what were your thoughts of Dangerfield coming out of this draft and where, where she should fall?
1: It, go to my Instagram. And <laughs> I did, this, I, I did something with Dangerfield. And Sabrina Inescu. That's how good I thought she was going to be.
2: Wow, hot. Now,
1: not 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 this early, but look, there's something to be said for a point guard that's played with players who understand the game, playing for Geno, a certain way to play without the ball in your hands, making certain reads. It put her ahead of someone that may have been two inches taller, or you know, uh, 15 pounds heavier. Now I didn't think she would do what she's doing right now, but when she was on that draft board, I'm like, oh my gosh, Cheryl Reeves is about to pop a bottle of champagne.
2: Absolutely, you know. <laughs> uh,
1: but and and and, and 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 honestly, I I did I, I did a thing with she and Sabrina. I I thought she was tremendous for her uh, little engine that could. You know, she's fearless. Don't tell her she's five five. Hell, she might not be five five. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, she just has a little. She has that salt in her game has that steely look in her eye and she seems ready for the moment so far ahead of so many other people so I'm just happy it came into play for her and it wasn't so much pressure uh, that she couldn't withstand so I'm, I'm excited for that kid and I'm biased with the point guards, as you know so I'm here for it way to go keep the small guard alive right
2: absolutely I'm, I'm with you on that one and I thought it was absolutely adorable um, I just it made me like it touched my heart she did that interview following. Um, that 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 first playoff win, and she was like damn near in tears. And I thought that just showed so much heart that she brings to the game. Um, we see it out on the floor every day, but then to see it, you know, kind of, you know, no no one thought we could do this. Um, it, it speaks a lot to kind of just her competitiveness um, and her passion. But uh, back didn't. to Minnesota. I, I mean, didn't. assuming Seattle's at full strength, um, assuming we've got you know Stewie and Bird, everyone's out there. How can Minnesota? steal a few games? How can they push this to five? Or how, how can they win this series?
1: You know, uh, it's going to be tough. And I think you start with this, and Cheryl doesn't have to say it. No one thinks we're going to win. Relax, go out there, have fun. <laughs> That's going to be number one. And then you revisit what got you to the top four seed when people voted you out. Okay, then you focus on what you've done well. And honestly, you know if Sue's going to play or not, there's two different types of basketball that right. Right. Seattle will have to have to adjust for, you know, and 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 so so you focus on that because here's what you know Seattle's going to do, you know Sue's one of those players she can miss five games and she gets inserted back in and it's like she never missed one, right? <laughs> so, uh, but 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 I think the third part of of that for Minnesota is is, is having. You know, if it's gonna be Mo or Shanice or whoever, because I think they're gonna throw some different looks at to feel break her rhythm. You know, maybe they'll blitz her on the side. Maybe they'll well they, they won't they won't try to weak her because she can go left, but but maybe try to give her some different looks, break her rhythm, because Kloppenberg is an excellent uh defensive coach, excellent coach overall. So just make sure that she's uh ready for that moment. And if that moment looks a little murky, that you just help her through it. Uh, but I think it's going down to not getting the the, the wide-open transition threes, take care of the glass, because once Seattle gets in the half court, they're pretty damn good as well. So we just got to really, really tighten your bootstraps, play gritty, and play to your strengths.
0: Well, I, I think it would be a fool's errand to say, what's the Achilles heel of Seattle, and how can Minnesota win this? So I'm going to flip it on its head and say, what makes Seattle so hard to beat? And I know everyone's going to say the names on the roster, but – Shed some light onto this. Let me peek inside of your, your elite basketball mind. Why is Seattle one of the most amazing teams in this league?
1: Well, I think it's because of the names on the roster that everyone else is not talking about. Because Sue and Stewie didn't play, right? Mm-hmm. So let's go back to Sammy, and let's go back to Natasha Howard, and uh, Mercedes Russell. Uh, you go back to... No, Jewel Lloyd. Listen, Jewel Lord used to come practice on my Chicago team and she was in 11th grade. Wow. So she is amazing. And I saved Clark for last because yeah, she's getting talked about, but like I, I, we 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 appreciate her in 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 the game. But she gives you the ability to swing to a big lineup, switch in multiple positions. She it's just that's why it's those players that played remarkable minutes in the year when those two Olympians and superstars weren't there and they're comfortable, they're confident for every moment. Then on top of that, I love the way they play. The ball would not stick. Uh, They're unselfish. The pace is really, really nice. They get five out, pull you away from the basket. That allows someone like a Jewel Lloyd who can run and crash the glass because it's hard to block someone out that's on a three point line. So it's that, those other players that make them so great along with to really
0: obviously well shout out to jewel Lloyd because uh, i don't know if you saw the game against la when she hit that shot when i think it was the inbound was at 0.8 seconds the ball left her hands on the shot with like 0.4 seconds left in the game which was mind-boggling to hit that and props to her as a player who you know has has had some up and downs over her first couple seasons but is really coming into her own and uh dominating this league in many ways so i gotta tip my cap to jewel and that's pretty cool to see You know, a young player, I think one of the things in women's basketball that has struggled to grow this game is teaching these young players and letting them get up close and personal looks at these WNBA superstars to kind of set the stage for where you could be if you work hard. So I want to tip my cap to you, Pokey, for bringing her in on that and uh, just the education that you've been passing along to the world. So I want to thank you for that, but also thank you for joining our show and, and taking the time out of your busy day.
1: Hey, look, it's my pleasure. You guys keep doing what you do. I love it. Keep pouring our game. And uh, let's just hope everyone is healthy and we have the rest of the series go five games for everyone to see this wonderful game that these women are playing.
0: I'm with you on that. Well, thank you so much, and we'll let you go. Have a great day. All
1: right, take care. tell